Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. I just probably have to back off my mic a little, right, Benny, right there? Hey, you're good. Am I good? All right. Okay. Uh, I was uh, running a meeting this morning and uh, it was, you know, the whole mic thing now with the Roadster, Roadcaster, I call it Roadster, uh, but just really cool piece of equipment that replaces five other pieces of equipment. It was just interesting. And so I'm learning, I have to learn how to go over there and adjust the mixer thingy-majig over there. Uh, or I say, David, Olivia, come in, help. <laughs> That works better. Ben. Sometimes it happens. It works better. Um, how you doing, B? How good. you doing today? Good. Hanging in there. It's good? Tuesday. Yeah, it's Tuesday. Terrific Tuesday. Uh, I got to. I got to really talk to Malcolm today. All right. I, I got to talk to. Him. That's why we got him. All right. I I got to lay true confessions. Somewhere I'm gonna. When Olivia takes me off camera, I got to put on my lipstick. That's important. Um. Welcome, everybody, to Dr. Pat Show. Today, it's Slay Your Dragons with Compassion. Ten ways to thrive, even when it feels impossible. Now, I love this. I love the whole dragon thing. Those of you know Colette, right? Holy cow. Wait till you see, like, her dragon paintings and cards. But what is it about dragons? And here's a little tidbit. Slaying your dragons. How do you slay them with compassion? What is it? That, what is the fascination, first of all, that we have with dragons? I want to just say that right up front. I mean, blockbuster movies about them, everything out there, there's something about them, fascination. Even Linda has like a dragon totem. I mean, this is Linda who goes out in the desert and there's so many things in the desert and we're walking down the trail somewhere red rock pathway, walking out. Of course, I'm finding all the snakes. And what does Linda find? the lizards. They are just right there for her. But the part about this that I love and the way folklore has changed is looking at this notion of compassion. Compassion. It is one of the most powerful of powerful energies if you can feel it. But what happens when life throws you a bunch of curves. And this is so important today. Yesterday, you all heard Chef Rossi and I do a show. And I, I, I said a few things that I didn't say. What I said was, I've lost several people to COVID-19. Several people. One day they're there, and the next day they're not. I've lost almost every woman that I've ever had in my life to something very suddenly. My stepmom to suicide, excuse me, my mom to suicide, my sister on a hospital floor, 
my two sisters and my stepmom and my spiritual teacher. But what about grief? What is it about the reality and the sensitive stories about grief? What is it about what we learn from those transitions in our lives? If we make it, not everybody makes it. Not everybody is Malcolm Stern. Not everybody writes a book that will set you back on your heels and say to you, what is it about relationships that teach you, that educate you? What is it about compassion to help you slay your dragon? But what is it about compassion that helps you do that with, with non-violently? That's a term I love. What is it about the detecting devices we have within, which Malcolm calls radar? All of this, and then in the end, what happens when we come together? So today, we're going to talk about all of this. And one of the things I love about Malcolm's book, and I didn't really say this to him yet, is usually the books that I pick up. And the other day, I was talking uh, with, um, I'm backing off this mic a little, Benny. Got a couple of peas popping here. Um, the other day, we had Sabrina Wright on. And we were talking about the order of things. And I've always been baffled about when somebody hands me a process and the first thing out of the process is find your purpose. And all I want to do is scream. When my mentor, Sedonia Cahill, the woman that literally helped me awaken, passed away, finding my purpose didn't exactly pop up. But it popped up shortly thereafter. Malcolm is joining me here today because we are going to get real about what this looks like. You know, he has worked as a group and individual psychotherapist. He's done it for 30 years. He's co-founder and co-director, Alternative St. James Church, London. Um, he is the author of this book and other books. But this is the book that's going to help us get through the time we're in now. Because what Malcolm does is he breaks this down into real people terms, like people, like us, like what we can do. Malcolm, great to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat. Lovely to see you. Um, did a whole rant the other day with one of my hosts because I'm, I'm looking at a number of different things. And I'm really reflecting on my life these days. And as you are in the book, um, grief, people have talked about it. One of the greatest misconceptions I think we had was Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, some of the, the notions about that. But grief, I've often thought about if grief were an acronym, what would it stand for? But for you, if grief is an acronym, what does it mean to you in your life and your passion for being here today? I think when grief strikes us and all of us are going to hit the skids at some point in our life, um, we have really two choices. One is that we actually get broken by it. And the other is that we have to find inner resources and for me, I had to find inner resources when my daughter took her own life. She was 33 years old. And um, I really believe that this book, um, 
birthed itself as a result of my losing my daughter. I, I, I have to tell you, it is so clear and con concise about that. I often wonder if the people that have made their transition often give us guidance as to what to do about that. And, you know, I was really struck when I read the book and I read about, you know, you know, your loss and your journey. You know, I often wonder if pen in hand isn't guided by those that have left. What are your thoughts on that, Malcolm? Well, I'm, I'm really pleased you said that, Pat, because I wasn't really going to mention anything like that. But I was okay. talking a guy rang me today whose son is suicidal and he just got hold of the book and he said he read it out to his wife, the introduction. And he said they were both crying when they listened to it. And he just recognized that space so clearly. Um, I actually, and I, what I said to him is I actually felt Melissa's presence when I was writing the book. And my first two books took me about four years to write. This book took me seven months once I started the writing process. Yeah. It just poured through me. And I felt like I was, I, I'm not very mystical, but I felt guided in this by, by Melissa's spirit. And I feel like I've honoured her in this book and I've honoured, I've tried to make sense of dealing with the suicide of a beloved first child. At some point, because of the epidemic we have now, and I'm not talking about COVID, I'm talking about the suicide rate, which not many people are talking about. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm really focused on this for the moment for three reasons. It's so much of it's in my family. Um, and the second part of it is the part about, do we see the signs? Now, I don't think my mom saw the signs of her own demise, her own depression, but I did capture some letters from her that believe it or not, my dad did not throw away and my stepmom passed on to me. And when I read those, and I'm actually going to use those letters in, in the book that I'm, I'm planning to write, I wasn't going to do it. But I wondered, Malcolm, why would those letters get to me? Why would they get to my dad? Why wouldn't my dad just trash them because of what they said? Why, when my dad passed, my stepmom had hung on to them to give to me? And sure, they're meant for me. But is there a way we can help other people in our journey? And isn't that part of your journey? That's absolutely what my journey is all about. It's, it's like, you know, I, interestingly, I, I felt like I was writing a manual for other people, but I realized once I'd finished it that I'd actually written a manual for myself. I looked at what were the things that helped me even thrive through this? What did I need to do in order to find that? So, and then I realized that actually, even the guy I spoke to this morning about his son's potential suicide, I had some insights for him that were, were valuable and he was just really blown away. I want to ask you a question. Um, the book is, and we're, I would love for you to share these insights. Um, I do have this affinity with dragons. Linda does too, my best friend who booked this. But there are 10 ways to thrive even when it feels impossible. And I want to talk to you about that because if I didn't know the story of Melissa, if I didn't know your story, I would have picked up this book and it could be applicable to everyone that is going through what we went through. I lost two people that I would see every week to COVID. They were there one day and one day they weren't. Two others hospitalized 
didn't get all the treatment the president got whole different world if you're like an average person going into the hospital really probably will never be the same um one of their daughters didn't make it and i looked at this book and i thought wow this is a book that you must have thought about writing a year ago right i thought about writing it in 2017 so three years ago yep and I found someone to support me in the writing process um, because I'm not a good structural engineer. I know what I, I know. <laughs> yeah. And I need someone to do the architecture for me. Yeah, and me actually, too. That's great, exactly. So we then you can flow between the lines. So um, I employed someone to help me do that and he's helped build the structure. And then I was able to sort of flow within the structure. So I want to ask you this. Um, when you step back from this, now you've done a bunch of interviews, the book is out. Um, I want to ask you, how have you changed by applying the principles in the book, the 10 ways? How have you changed since the book has been out? Meaning, I still think, and this is just me, it's not you, I still think perhaps Melissa is still operating and working, but I'm wondering if this has elevated or um, evolved you even still as we speak? I, I think the process of loss is the first place where we change. So for me, it's like losing Melissa was like, it was the most shocking thunderbolt that could possibly have hit me. Mm. And, um, and so I, I think what we need to do is to have the patience to let the impact land, to let the shock land and then to start to explore. So I tried to go into therapy straight after Melissa died and it was useless because I wasn't ready to get down really underneath the surface. So there's been a, you know, Melissa died in 2014. So it's six years Mm -hmm. almost. And um, it's taken its time to, to birth itself through me. And it's taken deep reflection to go, these are the things that made me feel like I, 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 I was able to not just survive, but I was able to thrive through this. And, and then I was able to look at, well, what are they? What are the things I've been practicing for years without necessarily naming them, but they were there to sort of to draw on. We've got a toolkit inside us, which we've developed. And sometimes when the tragedy happens, we then know which tool to draw on. And the good thing to do is to, is to build our toolkit before we find ourselves in, in desperate need of it. And I want to start at the beginning and, and I want to jump right to talking about, um, I, I want to talk about follow your radar, but I want to take the quote right from the beginning. Heroes take journeys, confront dragons and discover the treasure of their true selves. Uh, and that's Carol Pearson, author of The Hero Within. Heroes take journeys, confront dragons and discover the treasure of their true selves. I love that quote. I love where it is. And I'm struck by this idea of follow the radar, because I got to tell you, I didn't quite know it quite like that. But me following the radar is the only reason I'm alive today. I am very clear of that. Yes. Talk about that for a minute, right? Um, Talk about what that has come to mean for you, because I love that it's in the book. Not a lot of people are talking about it this way. But it is essential in navigating the waters. Tell us about 
your version of the radar. <laughs> so I've been running groups for the last 35 years. Yeah. And what I've found in those groups is that my head doesn't do me a lot of good. What does me a lot of good is my instinct. So um, I'll sometimes get a, a sense to do something with someone who's in the middle of a group psychotherapy circle. And I have no idea where it's come from. But actually, it's, it turns out that it's actually quite skillful. Not because I'm necessarily skillful, but I've had access to the skill of that. And then I've been using that muscle again and again to practice what it is to strengthen what we would call our sixth sense. Now, our sixth sense, our inner wisdom, is there for every single one of us. We have access to inner wisdom. We may find it through meditation. We may find it through using the I Ching. We may find it through tarot. We might find it through all sorts of things. Um, but for me, it's about how do we strengthen that, what I call the radar, and, and, and what I'm also saying is instinct. How do we strengthen that? Well, our left logical brain will try and find methodical answers to these things. Whereas actually our intuitive wise self will understand what it is to employ that aspect of ourselves. And, and then the more we recognize that and the more we give that a bit of airtime, the more we slow down and allow it to influence us and stop acting from panic, stop reacting to situations, we find ourselves responding as someone who's actually riding the waves and then responding to where the waves are taking us. And I love that. And can I read a line from the book, if you don't please, mind? Please, um, one of the things that I was so blessed and fascinated by discovering at a very young age, a very young age as a child, six years old, right before my mom passed away. Um, I've always had sort of another sense of things. Even as a young kid, I was always in trouble, always talking about stuff that nobody understood. Nickname was Pat the Brat. Um, you know, you get it, right? I'm a kid from the Bronx. All I wanted to do was hang out with the people across the street, you know, like like my sister's friends and boyfriends didn't, didn't fit the mold. But in Catholic boarding school, when my mom, after my mom's first attempt, uh, attempt and being bounced around to aunts and uncles, I ended up in Catholic boarding school. And this here line, I pull this line out and I've, I've been able to reflect. It says, often our radar guides us in mysterious ways. Often our radar guides us in mysterious ways. And the reason I bring this up, because you set the stage for the rest of the book here. And what I love about that is if we know that, right, Malcolm, if we know that, then when the mysterious way shows up, we will be able to trust it. What is your experience with this? And how is that, how does that point us then to, you know, watching this play out, what you call bear witness? How does it sort of say, ah, oh, mysterious, but it's okay? I think it's it's sort of learning to trust the process and, and actually we are given signs all the way along the way we're given signs and if we can really trust the process then we can start to follow the signs and the signs might sometimes not make a lot of logical sense but the signs are sometimes profoundly wise because um, Carl Jung said that everything is synchronicity yeah. and, and I do think that we are guided through our lives and we can think we're alone but actually there is, there is um, we're connected to each other. We're interconnected to the whole world and to the planet uh, and, and in fact to the galaxies. So we're a part of, we're, we're a droplet in the waves. And if we can allow ourselves to be educated and surrender to what is, that's where things can make a difference. 
Um, I have a, I have something you can't see it over here, but it is something I got from the, the Dalai Lama uh, a couple of years back. And I remember the conversation because I was always confused about compassion. If you had, if you come in here, what you're going to find is I've got the Dalai Lama. I've got Kuan Yin over there. I've got uh, all my friends are Asian. So I've got some beautiful Chinese handwriting that means joy over there. There's a lot of things, but here's what I learned about compassion. I'd love for you to weigh in on it for a long time. When people would talk to me about it, there's this, there was this underlying notion until I actually got really sick in 04 that compassion is equated with inaction. And this is really for me, when I read your book, this is anything but that. And what I had to learn the hard way and the coaching work I do and even the leadership work I do with people if we're going to talk about compassion, we're going to talk about compassion in action, because I know what it's like to sit on the, sit on the couch, be, not be able to move. I know what it's like to numb myself with drugs and alcohol. I know all that. But talk about this idea of compassion, because you don't say, let's just be now and be in compassion. You say, slay your dragons with compassion. Oh, yes. and that's it's, like an action. It's an action. I remember um, a long time ago, walking up Glastonbury Tour. I don't know if you've heard of Glastonbury Tour. Yeah. It's a very famous sort of spiritual landmark in, in, in England. Yep. And uh, on the way, I met a priest and I was chatting to him and I told him about my beliefs. He said, he said, you know, in those days, they called it new age people. He said, you new age people are often so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly use. And I, that stuck with me. Yeah. Actually, I do think that we do have to take action. We can't just, you know, perhaps if you're the Dalai Lama, perhaps if you're a, a, a profound saint, your meditation will be the action, that will be the ripple. But for us people, us ordinary human beings, we have to find ways to see what the action might be, but we have to be wise enough to get the timing right and to actually see when action is demanded and when it's time to be patient. So Siddhartha in um, uh, um, the, the, the Buddha, yeah. um, said, I have three skills and with these three skills, I can do anything. I can think, I can wait, I can fast. And, and actually, I think there's a, there's a real sense of actually find out when your ideal time is for taking the action and then take the action. Get support in finding that time. Get support in, in feeling what it is you need to do. Build yourself so you're strong enough to take an action that will make a difference in your life. But do what you need to do in order to create that. And this is really part of what we're talking about. For those of you just tuning in, I, I, I just want to say Malcolm Stern is joining me here today. And I just want to say um, Olivia's probably got the book popped up. Um, this is really for me, this is a book, although it tells a very, very powerful story and, and you know, the grief journey, of course, in here. Um, Melissa helping write the book, I think. But it is a book for what we're living in today, because one of the things, Malcolm, I like about this, and I'm really latched onto it, is I can still be in this place. I can still be grieving. I can still be all of those things and still have a voice for what I believe in. Exactly. Still take an action and, and expand the network. So I can do both. Of course all. you can, yes. And, and I often um, think about, people who do what is called spiritual bypassing. So yeah. a lot of people who are involved in this sort of field 
will, will override their feelings, will override their emotions, will go for gold. And when I was in my 30s, I used to dress in white and walk around with a very soft voice and thinking that I was one step away from enlightenment. Actually, I was just an idiot sort of, you know, thinking that, that this was the way to do it. And I think that actually we're being educated, we're being molded through our life. And I think one of the joys of aging is that we actually become wiser if we allow ourselves yeah. to be educated. I got to ask you, since you bring up the aging thing, I'll tell you what I'm discovering. Um, I venture you're a bit like me. I just want to say, I don't know for sure, but I was very active when I was younger. I mean, by the time I was 23, I had probably done more marches, protests, because my stepmom was all about that. You know, my stepmom was all about action. First child at 12, second at 13, taught me about power, perseverance and resilience before it was a thing. But this is the thing I love about this. Here you and I are. I don't know about you, but I'm not done yet. Today, on a day like today, I feel like I'm just warming up. Everybody around me is looking at me like, what, what? Why are you going to write that book? Like, wh what do you? So do you get a lot of that or do people just say, yeah, Malcolm, we just figure it's you. You're just going to be like energize a bunny and keep rolling. I think um, I've had a lot of um, a sort of very positive impact from people who have said the book has really touched them. And that's that's inspired me as well. Uh, but I felt like I had no choice but to write the book. The book really wanted to be born. And that sounds a bit mystical and, and woo woo, but actually it really isn't. Um, and I think that I was inspired to write the book. I was inspired to find the right people to help me. I was inspired to find the right publisher. I mean, Watkins, who published it. Uh, yeah. um, and I think Penguin Random House are distributing in the States. Yeah. But, um, they were, they've been very good. They've given me a, couple of, a publicity person in the States. They've given me a publicity person in, in England. Um, they're really championing the book. And I needed the right people behind me because I'm not big on social media. I'm not big on, and people kept saying, oh, you've got to invest in that. You've got to learn how to use Instagram and all that stuff. And actually I'm getting the inputs because people are believing in the book. And so I, it's like, I'm almost like saying, I am trusting the universe to guide this where it needs to be. I don't need it to be a bestseller. I would love it to educate people who could be touched by it and could be informed by it. Well, I need it to be a bestseller, just saying. Um, and why, why, do I, well, why do I say that though? I mean, you and I both know I've been doing this 16 years. Gail, you're working with Gail Tor. Yes. All right. Gail's amazing. Here's the deal. And this is what I love about this because this now talks to everything you have including seek to understand i love that you put that in there but when i go through the book i want to say this before we go to break there's parts in this book now when you talk about relationships and i was stunned by what you put in this section i gotta tell you i almost didn't read the whole thing because i thought and then i started to read it and i thought wait a minute this is not what you think so when you talk about let your relationships educate you, this is part one. And then I read, I am like, I drew a model in my mind on a piece of, I'm really good with diagrams, right? And I started to look at what you wrote. I just want to, can I just, I want to tell folks, please. then we'll take a break and come back. Yeah, please. This is key for everybody today, because you could take this, what I'm about to say, you got to read the book though, because there's so much more. When Malcolm is talking about the four levels of connection, 
and I put them in four circles, almost like a four part Venn diagram. It is a very interesting visual. Here they are. Physical connection. Connection. He's talking. You're here, Malcolm. You're talking about connection. Yes. Emotional connection. Mental connection. Spiritual connection. Here's the deal. Almost 15 or 16 years ago when I first started this by following my radar i dialed the wrong phone number that's why you and i are talking i didn't hang up i'm from the bronx i didn't hang up i wanted to interview and i entered this not as a new thought person i was depressed i was i was man i was went to school 10 years to become a consultant i studied broken promises and i couldn't do it malcolm i was immobilized i was crusted over but then I got this gig and I loved it. And I got behind a mic and I met Benny. We've been together this long. And I started to look at the people that I could learn from. This guy, Deepak Chopra, didn't know him, but he went and studied, you know, you know how I got attached to him? He studied his internship in Plainfield, New Jersey. I'm from Plainfield, I graduated Plainfield. That's the weirdest connection. Yes. So I track him down and I find out who's working with him. This Gail person. Oh, I didn't even know that about Gail. That's well, interesting. This is my first connection. And so I have a show. It has very little followers. It is my first year. And I said, I've tracked her down. And I said, I want to interview, mispronounce his name. I don't even want to do it. I, I want to interview Deepak Chopra. Um, Gail, so beautiful and charming. And, you know, most publicists would have said, not on your life. Are you kidding? The show wasn't even called The Dr. Pacho. It was called Crust Busting Your Way to an Awesome Life. But I got a hold of her. So here's what Gail does. It is compassion in action. When we come back, I want to talk about this story because you, in these four connections, if we have two of them operating or three of them operating, and leave one out, there's an impact. If we have one of them operating and the other three not, there's an impact. But it's almost like if we look at the four, how does it help slay your dragon? When we come back, I'm going to tell you the rest of the Gail story and how Gail exemplified those four things, but how I learned and how you're teaching people we have the ability to do this even in the depth of our grief. Malcolm Stern, we're going to take a short break. Um, I want to give a copy of the book away. When we come back, we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. I'm the host of Nothing But Now, Mindful Living with Dr. Mary Angela McGuire on Transformation Talk Radio. I share ideas, insights, and tools you can use to release yourself from fearful and negative thinking and live from a place of clarity and confidence. Please join me in each show where we challenge ourselves to change together. Please go to my website, mcguirelifecoach.com. That's mcguirelifecoach.com. See you next time. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show, talk radio to thrive by. I am so thrilled to be talking to all of you. We have got talk radio for all of us. Are you ready and willing and able to accept all of the abundance you can muster up in your life? Yeah. 
Check us out at drpatcho.com, transformationtalkradio.com, transformationradio.fm. Oh, my goodness. A word of caution. If you prefer the status quo and you are not interested in improving every aspect of your life, this book will trigger the shift out of you. The Truth is Funny, Shift Happens is available now. Author Colette Steffen brings the powerful knowledge and life-changing energy and empowerment from the radio airwaves to the pages of her new book. To get your copy in paperback or ebook, visit thetruthisfunny.com today. The Truth is Funny, Shift Happens with Colette Marie Steffen is excited to welcome Karen Benton as a monthly guest host. Tune in on the third Wednesday of each month at 8 a.m. Pacific time to regain confidence and trust in your capacity to create change in your life, your health, your family, and your well-being. Karen Benton is a mother, nurse practitioner, certified body talk practitioner, Franklin Method instructor, and owner of Limitless Living LLC. For more information about Karen, visit karenbenton.com. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance. From the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On the Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Wow. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Um, Benny, I would love to give a copy of the book away, please. Um, the book, of course, Malcolm Stern. Oh, I just lost the poem. Um, the book. No, I think I got it. Page 96. Uh, Slay your dragons with compassion. So look at 10 ways to thrive even when it feels impossible. For those of you out there, this is not going to be this is not a book that's going to talk about the phases of grief. This is a book that says when you're in that phase, this is what you can do. The, the stories in this book, they are so amazing. By the time you get to page 97, if you don't have a little bit of a tear in your eye, hmm. Malcolm, how do people get a copy of the book? And then how do they find out about you? Let's give folks some information. Okay, so it's on Penguin Random How. And uh, I think it's on Amazon as well. Um, and it'll be on lots of Barnes and Noble. There, there, there's plenty of outlets in the States which are selling yeah. the book. Yep. I don't and know what Malcolm about Yeah, malcolmstern.com, right? And malcolmstern.com is my, my website, but it hasn't got, um, you can't order the book from me through there. But Watkins Publishing, can order, you can order the book through them. I just want people to find out about you. That's fantastic. Thank you yeah. so much, Pat. Yeah, you got to go over and see Malcolm. Uh, Benny, 1-800-930-2819. And Malcolm, I just want to say, I am going to get to the poem on page oh, 96. The poem I'm was... Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, that, was, that was really interesting, the poem, because um, um, when Melissa died, I, I was in the middle of running a group, and um, it was extraordinary because I, I, I found out during the lunch break that she'd taken her life, and I came back and spoke to one of the guys in the group who was also a psychotherapist, I said, David, my daughter's just died. 
can you take over the group? And he sort of set up a grief circle. So we stood in the, in the circle and he said, those of you who've lost a parent, step, in, step into the middle. Half the people stepped in. Those of you who've lost a, a sibling, step into the circle. A couple of people stepped in. Those who've lost a close friend, a few people stepped in. Those of you who've lost a child, there was just me. And at that moment, it landed. Mm. And then I knew I had to let people know that she died. So I just sat down and just, I'm not a poet. Um, I don't consider myself a particularly good poet, but it's like the, this poem just came through me. And I just thought, I'm posting this on Facebook. This is the way I'm going to let people know that my daughter has died. Well, we're going to get to the poem because I think, if you don't mind me saying again, I think Melissa had a part in this book. But I want to get to the four levels of connection because yeah. it's so beautifully written. And what it says to me is this is not just a book to really just have conceptual ideas out there to go through phases of something. This is literally stuff you got to do. Physical connection. But let me talk about the Gale real quick. So any other PR publicist back in the day would have been like, can't help you. You got a one hour show. I don't even know what you're on. I was on a digital platform back then, 2003 mm. on the internet, seriously. But Gail did something interesting. And she, she said, you know, Deepak is having a family outing or something picnic in California, by the way. She says, you know, if you come down, the best way to do this is for him to meet you. And she said, if you can come down to California and just come to this outing, I don't promise anything. I don't think you're going to, I don't know if you're going to meet him or you're not. So my friend Bonnie and I, we got on a plane. We booked it literally a day trip, California, right? To, to meet a guy that I was mispronouncing his name, didn't really know who he was, didn't actually know he was a doctor at the time, except I knew something about him in Plainfield. Got down there, saw Gail, met Gail, and she said, well, just hang around. So here I am at this thing, and he's got like all these family people, and Bonnie and I are just hanging out. And so Gail would come back. This talks to your connections, the four people. So Gail would come back and forth. And finally, she said, come on over. I'd like you to meet Deepak. Never looked back. Spent five minutes with them. Hi, this is Dr. Pat, blah, 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 five minutes. But in that five minutes, every one of these connections simultaneously happened in a way I can't explain. Yeah. And that's why I'm sharing the story talk about these four and what this does to help catapult us to where we need to be. Okay. So there are four basic connections and that, that's physical. Now, if we're looking at a relationship, we're looking at a, an intimate love relationship, we're looking at physical being a sexual part of it, but it's not all of it. It means being able to be in the world together. It means being able to function on the physical plane. Um, the um, emotional means that you're, you're working with your emotions that actually, for a lot of the time, um, we sort of say, how are you? Fine, thank you. What that means is normally fucked up, insecure, neurotic and emotionally unstable. Um, actually, what we're looking at when we're looking at emotional connection is the ability to be able to be in the face of another's emotions and not to run away. So to be able to connect at an emotional level. And a mental level, it means being able to share your thinking. It means being able to inspire each other through your thinking and the, and the relationship becomes stronger 
as a result of the two parts connecting together and, and inspiring and helping the flow of, of relationship. And the spiritual means that you, you don't have to be exactly the same. One can be a Buddhist, another can be a Christian. In fact, my closest friend is a Buddhist and his partner is a Christian. But um, there's a sort of sense of, of a shared spiritual journey that isn't uh, you know, delineated by what, what uh, practices you do, but it's just the sense that actually you support each other in your growth and in your development and in the recognition that you are more than this body. And, you know, when I think about this, I think about even with COVID, we all have the potentiality. Can I get back to something I said earlier, just to do a sanity check with you? Um, four of these can work harmoniously. I yeah. say harmoniously because I'm probably one of the few people that actually doesn't believe in balance. I believe in harmony, you know, and so they can work harmoniously. What is your experience when they don't work harmoniously because you then go on to talk about our heart has to break open, right? And is it the disharmony that does that or is it just the event? I think it's, it's the sort of the sense of disappointment sometimes. It's the sense of tragedy sometimes that, that actually we are molded by our pain. And whether we like it or not, that is part of what, what creates us into what we can be. So in my practice now as a psychotherapist, I, am, I can go much deeper with people because I've been there. And actually because my heart got broken open by my daughter's suicide, then I was able to sort of go, okay, I can go anywhere with people and, I, and I've got the right to do it. You know, it's like I can, I can handle that now because I, I'm, I'm part of that unfortunate club, but actually there's also a hidden blessing in that as well. And I want to talk to you about this, and this is my next point, and it really kind of leads right into a couple of other things you talk about before we get to the poem. Um, I had a mentor, amazing woman, who said to me, and then would laugh. I never understood why she laughed until actually I got sick. She would say, you know, Pat, here's the thing. You're not really going to be able to take a person to a place, you know, that you haven't gone yourself. And I had thought, wait a minute, where haven't I gone? Mom commits suicide, homeless at 17, arrested for something I didn't do by 19. And that, you know, before 21, I mean, yeah, what? What do you mean? But I had never been sick, physically sick, right? Cold, but not debilitating. What is it about that that enables us to, to really look at our strength. And the reason I bring up strength, it's because you then go on to talk about the ricochet effect. And I love this chapter, but I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it honor. I was surprised and really happy. Take ownership of your own projections. Talk about that. Um, it's very easy to project onto another what's going on in you. So you might, for example, say that someone's selfish, your, your partner's selfish, when actually you're not looking at your own selfishness, that you're trying to, to put it in a box. We like to put things in boxes, then we, then we feel safe. And actually there's a sort of, um, there's a wisdom in being able to say, what's really going on for me? What am I feeling in the face of this? And, and often the ricochet effects, and I've seen this, I, I'm, I've, I created that term 
um, I've, because I've seen it happen in groups time and time again. And what I see is that someone will be sitting in the group in, in a perfectly sort of happy, harmonious state of being. Someone will be doing some work about something very deep for them. And suddenly, bang, that really impacts the other person. And they open up a doorway inside themselves where you have to start to look at what's going on for you. And then there's a magic moment where you've been broken open. And the ricochet effect can break us open. And I want to talk about breaking us open. Um, and because I, I've often thought, how many of these things do I have to go through in life? And, you know, after the whole jail thing, that wasn't over yet. There was much more. Um, but I needed to numb myself. I really did. I mean, I was at a point in my life where you got to be kidding. This is happening. That is happening. This is happening. Life became a little bit over. I got a dose of what my mom went through, a little bit of that. But then as life went on, I met some angels along the way. I really did. Without them, Linda, her mom, her dad, I don't think I'd be here today. But it leads me to talk with you about what it means to face ourselves and to face what's happening. Every story in here is amazing. But the idea of a sangha and what that means I was a little thick in the skin. My mentor said, if you were meant to be by yourself, you would have been given your own planet, Pat. And I think sometimes you think you have your own planet. You don't. Talk about the Sangha. I think this is possibly the most important chapter in the book because this yeah. is what we can do to strengthen ourselves. And basically, I start that chapter on the Sangha with a quote from the I Ching, which I've, I've interpreted, but it's still a... Um, it has relevance and the quote says until we reach a certain stage in our evolution not only do we need the support of others of like mind we have a duty to seek that support and in this troubled struggling world we're living in right now what can bring us some peace and what can bring us some strength and resilience is being around people of like mind because we need to actually hold hands with others and bond together in order to be able to face the trials and tribulations that are going to inevitably come our way. And um, this is recognized, you know, that, that, that this is a Buddhist terminology, the Sangha. Um, but it, it is one of the most powerful constructs that we can do. Now, I have a, a number of Sanghas. I have a, an, every Monday morning, I do a, um, an, a Zoom exchange with a friend of mine where we talk for half an hour each and the others listens and then reflects back. That's a Sangha process. I have another, I have a triad, there's three of us that meet once a week as well. And we, again, talk about our processes and get reflection from the other two about what they see going on under the surface. So the, those sanghas are, are very important for me. The one year group that I run, which unfortunately I'm, I'm having to sort of not run one next year because I'm having to carry this group over because of the virus. Um, but that is a sangha, that, that people get to get close to each other because they're practicing truth together. They're practicing authenticity with each other. They're practicing compassion with each other. They're practicing the very skills that, that allow us to feel safe in the company of others. They don't have to hide behind this smiling face that's hiding a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, and by the way, like the cornerstone of the 12-step programs, which is pretty much whatever you want to say about 12-step programs, the one thing that has been re remained sacred is the sacredness of the Sangha and the safety of, you know, those groups. I want to get to this 
And I don't know if you'd like to read the poem. No, I was just thinking about that. I would like you to. I might cry, but it's 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 funny, you know, because when I when I um, talk about Melissa, mm -hmm. sometimes my eyes fill with tears, and sometimes mm -hmm. I I can just talk about it. But it's like I don't know what's going to happen and when. So when I give talks, I will often have tears in my eyes as I'm speaking, and I welcome that. So if you don't mind if I do cry, then then I'm happy to read it. Well, I don't mind if you cry because I've already had to redo my makeup once today. <laughs> Because I thought I was going to read it. But this comes in the chapter, Allow... Oh, you can read it, Pat. That would be great. Actually, I'd love to read it. Allow your suffering to transform you. Yeah. Extraordinary people survive under the most terrible circumstances, and they become more extraordinary because of it. That's Robertson Davies. Now, why don't you start it, and then I'll take the second part. Okay. Let's do it together. That's lovely. Thank you. I appreciate it. Such amazing energy you brought to life your all. You were loved and admired. You lived this life in thrall. Your path was never easy. It snaked through mud and mire. Melissa the beautiful, universally adored. Over to you. I miss you in the places that I've never been. We grappled with life together you always lived your truth. You, you were old before your time. I wish you could return just once to those who loved you and let us know, are you at peace, darling Melissa? When I think about where you put this in the book, and I think about the beauty and the energy, we must allow our suffering to transform us so we can help others do the same. Don't you think, Malcolm? I do, and actually, you that, that, I'm glad you read the last bit because that's the bit that always cracks me up. But actually, I had an amazing happening that I haven't written about this in the book, but um, after Melissa, I kept wanting dreams of Melissa. And about six months after she died, I had a dream um, and that I'd managed to get hold of her. And I rang her on the phone and someone answered the phone. They said, I'll just get her. And uh, I said, hello. So, uh, Melissa said, um, hello, mum. And I said, it's not mum, it's dad. And she put the phone down. And that was the only dream I had for two years. And then I had another dream two years on. And in that dream, I was, I was going, I was at a, I went to a party and I saw Melissa chatting and she was vibrant and colorful, full of life, chatting to people. And she smiled at me, sent me this beautiful energy. And um, I was in Thailand at the time. And I rang my, other, my daughter, Alex, the next day. I said, you know, I had this dream. And she said, I had the same dream. So we both, two years after Melissa's death, had the same dream that Melissa was at peace two years on. Thank you for sharing that. I want to say to everyone, there's so much more in the book. Um, it is a book for our time. It is a book for um, the world we're living in. It is a book of action and just compelling stories. Um, you can find out more about Malcolm by going to malcolmstern.com. Uh, and Benny, if we don't have a copy of the book away to give away, I, I just want to say, here we go. 1-800-930-2819. So much more. 
Slay Your Dragons with Compassion, Malcolm Stern. Malcolm, one last question. First of all, thank you for joining me today and thank you for writing a book that really does touch our hearts, but allows us to have compassion in action in doing it, allows us to ride the back of the dragon, you know, and slay and burn and transmute all the fires of grief that need to, to have that done, but also for reminding us that the heart is one of the most powerful things. We can have heart, we can have hope, and we can take action. I'd love to know what your personal message is. Thank you for today. What would you like to leave us with today? I think I'd like to leave you with a, with a quote um, from, from the book, which is from the chapter on finding your purpose, which is probably my favorite. Actually, it's two quotes. There's a, a short one, which is the Dalai yeah. Lama. And I think this is one of the most profound truths ever uttered. And what he says is, my religion is kindness. And to me, that is such a beautiful statement. But this is a quote from George Bernard Shaw that I'd like to leave you with today. Yes. And by the way, I just want to say, Pat, this has been the most um, touching interview I've done. And I've done lots of them now since the book's been around. And I just feel deeply met by you. And I'm very, very grateful to be on your show and to have the outreach that you are offering me here as well and the connection with which we've been able to dialogue and that you've touched my heart. And, and that's lovely. And I am in deep gratitude for you. I know what this journey's like. So here's, here's the George Bernard Shaw quote. This is the true joy in life, the being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, the being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community. And as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, for the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle for me. It is a sort of splendid torch, which I've got hold of for the moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. I can't thank you enough. And I have a funny feeling we'll be speaking again um, thank you well. so much. Yep. And uh, again, tell folks how they can get the book. Let's make sure folks know how to do that. Oh, that's pretty great. Okay. Well, it's definitely on Barnes and Noble, Penguin Random House, probably on Amazon. Um, it'll be on, in various, various retailers. I don't know where it's gone in the States so far, but I have to say that Gail Tour has done yeah. an extraordinary job in helping me get penetrate the States. Yep. I'm telling you. Thank you so much, Malcolm. Be well, my friend. Thank you, Pat. Be well too. And uh, bless you. For those of you out there, I'm just going to tell you, Slay Your Dragons with Compassion. It is a book that will help you take the journey, walk the journey, and then help others with the journey. But most importantly, in the day and time we're living in, this is a book about you taking charge of you, opening up your heart, cracking it open when you need it, and understanding that there is such a purpose waiting for you.